Morning, HTC. If you have your Bibles, you can open up with me to Genesis chapter 1. And uh, as that video said today, we're starting a new sermon series, In the Image of God, and we're going to be talking about today the personal change that comes in your life uh, when you start taking that theological concept that we're made in the image of God and start believing it not just in your head but in your heart and how that will change our life. Next week, we're going to talk about how gender plays an integral part in our bearing of God's image. When the Bible says that God created us in his image, it says something else. It says more. It defines more about what it means to be made in God's image. And one of the things that it means to be made in God's image is that he made us male and female. And so next week, we're going to be talking about how we can love our bodies and we can love our gender because God does. That's why he made us this way. And so we're going to talk about that next week. And then again on Christmas, we'll be talking about Jesus. As that video just mentioned, sin causes us to portray God's image uh, imperfectly to other people. And uh, that was why he needed to come in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He is the perfect image of God. If we want to know what God is like, we don't need to wonder where to look. We look to his image on earth the word taken on flesh, Jesus. And we celebrate that at Christmas. What a blessing that is, that we don't have to wonder who God is or wonder what he'd say or wonder what he's like. We have the blessing of being able to look at God and see and hear him through Jesus and what he said and did come to earth. Today we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1. You know, it was about a year or so ago now, um, I sat down to dinner and my kids all started fighting about which seat uh, next to me that they could fill. I want to sit by Papa. I want to sit by Papa. And they're all wrestling and pulling each other off the chair. And I just sat there and I felt so valued. I felt so loved. It felt so great. I felt so wanted. And then my kids went from dinner immediately out and I heard them arguing in the bathroom and I went in to the bathroom and they were all arguing about who got to flush the toilet. wait a minute, I don't know if this had as much to do about me. And today we're going to look at where we draw our value in life and where are you drawing your value? Where do you get your worth from? Because this will drive you. This will drive your decisions. Where you get your value from will lead to you making decisions to gain more of that value. And so some of us, were or are now serial daters, right? Because we gain value from that pursuit, from that chase, from that relationship. Some of us right now, we, we're either needy towards our spouse or we control our spouse because we get our value from them. Some of us are workaholics because we get our value from our career. Some of us are in debt because we get our value from having a big home and driving a nice car. Some of us spoil our children because we get our value from being able to provide for them and make them happy. Some of us obsess about our looks because we get our value from that. And some of us have low self-esteem because we haven't found a place yet to draw our value. And where are you getting your value from? It's an important question. Am I getting my value from a trustworthy source? Or is it going to be like my kids fighting over who gets to sit next to me? Will that source love me one minute, make me feel great one minute, and then lead to me feeling terrible the next. Where are you getting your value? Maybe you're riding high. Maybe you just got recognized at work and you feel great. 
Maybe you just got your hair done and you looked in the mirror and everything's wonderful. Maybe you just got a new car and you're driving down the road. I saw one today. It was gorgeous. Bright red GMC Denali with chrome trim, my favorite. All shiny and clean. And you're driving down the road and you're looking at everybody else's dusty old beater and you're feeling like you're on top of the world. And where do you get your value from? And those things say something about you, don't they? All those things say something about you. The car you drive says something about you. How you dress yourself up and go out in public says something about you. All those things say something. And where are you getting your value? And who are you listening to to get your value? And here's the thing that the truth of God's word brings us here today. We don't get our value. Christians don't get, those who are following the Lord don't get your value from any of those things. In fact, Christians seek to stop listening to those things, to stop listening to what your house says about you, to stop listening to what your career says about you, to stop listening to what your car says about you, because your career might say one thing about you today and might make you feel great, but when you're forced into retirement, well, then what's your career going to tell you about your value? It's going to tell you you're valuable or that you're no longer valuable. You might look great looking today, but if you listen to what your beauty says about you, then what's your beauty going to say about your value in 10 years? In 15 years, is it going to say that you're not as valuable then as you are now? That car, if you're listening to what that car says about you, you might feel great today, but that same car is going to say that you're a laughingstock in 15 years as you're the one driving down the road with a dusty old rusty beater. We need to stop listening to what our car says about us. We need to stop listening to what our house says about us, what our job says about us. Because there's only one person who says anything about us that matters. We need to stop listening to what other people say about us. And we need to start listening to what God says about us. Because God's the only one that we can trust. When God says something about us, then that is trustworthy. And being made in the image of God is life-changing because it gives us a place to look to for our value that is trustworthy. God is a trustworthy source when he tells us our value. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us, the Trinity having a chat, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so as you read through the first chapter of Genesis, God creates everything that there is. He creates the sun, the moon, the earth, the water, the land, the stars, the heavens, the seas, the creatures in the air, the creatures on the ground. He creates it all. God is our creator. And as he creates, if you look at verse 21, he creates everything according to its own kind. 
He created every winged bird according to its own kind, with which the water, every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. Verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. But then humans come along and he does something different. Instead of creating something in the animal kingdom according to its kind, God says, let us create man differently. Let's create man according to our image. Everything else that lives is according to its kind, and we are of a different kind. We are of the Lord. And everything that God creates is good. As you read through that first chapter, there's just that repetition, that line that repeats and repeats again. Verse 12, and God saw that it was good. Verse 18, and God saw that it was good. Verse 25, and God saw that it was good. But then God creates human beings. And in between the last thing he created and saw that it was good in verse 25, and then in verse 31, the only thing that's changed is he created human beings. But then it's God's creation of human beings. In verse 31, he looks down, he sees everything. He says, well, now it's very good. Human beings are unique. We are created in God's image. We are bestowed with particular worth, dignity, and value that changes this world from being good to being very good. What does it mean to bear God's image? Whenever Sarah, this is funny, whenever Sarah and I go to visit my side of the family, my side of the family sees the kids coming in and they say, Jeremy, they look just like you. They got your nose, they got your eye, they got your chin your elbow, whatever it is, right? And then we go to Sarah's side of the family. And it makes me feel good when they say, oh, my kids, they look just like me. And they go to Sarah's side of the family and they walk in and they go, they look just like you, Sarah. (laughs) They got your forehead and your ears and your dimples and whatever. And what does it mean to bear God's image? Well, if you think of God's physical characteristics, God is spirit. We're not like that. We're physical. If you look at God, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And so we don't bear the physical characteristics of God. What does it mean to bear the image of God? Well, John Calvin said, put it very eloquently, said, man reflects like a mirror the wisdom, righteousness, and goodness of God. And so we bear God's image and that only human beings on this earth are capable of reflecting God's wisdom, his righteousness, and his goodness. And God has given us that incredible ability. God has given you that incredible ability, that incredible dignity. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But God hate, or Satan hates God And Satan hates you. And so God has given us this incredible blessing of his image, and Satan wants us to reject that. Satan wants us to fail to live in that. Satan wants our culture to devalue that. And so Satan is incredibly tricky. He's a master. The Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air, not just because it's a fun alliteration nickname, because he truly is a master at getting us to follow him over God. And our culture does that. And I'm amazed at how our culture devalues people. 
This is a few years old now. In New York, they passed a bill that makes it illegal to declaw cats because it's mean to the cats. And so the cats can hurt you, but you can't hurt the cat. You can't prevent that cat from hurting you by declawing it. That cat is more valuable in New York than you. And it's certainly more valuable in New York than your children. In New York, they also just decriminalize late-term abortions. They're not penalized under criminal code anymore. And so we have people who are fighting for the rights of animals and yet perfectly fine destroying human life. And this is where our culture heads. If you look at the Bible, you have a source for human value, and those who believe our godless cultural creation myth are misled to missing the true value of themselves and other people. And Satan wants to lower your value. And so our culture tells humanity as a whole we are not valued. And there couldn't be anything different than the Bible's creation story, which we read, and the cultural myth that our culture perpetuates. It's interesting, scholars, academics, they refer to all these different cultural myths throughout history, and if they're unbelievable, unbelievers, they will include this. They'll call this a cultural myth. I'll say, the myth of the Egyptians, that the gods created us in order to work for slave waves for the food of the gods, and blah, 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 and this creation myth, and this creation myth. And then it gets to our own beliefs, and we're so blinded, we're so prideful that we think that ours, the culture, is not a myth. We know how the world was created. Those Greeks, they were foolish when they believed in Zeus and those other gods. But we, we know. And we came into being out of nothing. The Bible tells us that we are created by God and we live for a purpose to glorify him. And in the end, we are going somewhere, which is to be with God for an eternity. While our culture has determined that we are created by no one for no ultimate purpose, life is just what you manage to make of it now, and ultimately, we are going nowhere. Created by God, loving children of God, created to glorify him by a purpose in relationship for eternity with him versus created by nothing for no ultimate purpose and headed nowhere. And what will that do to you? What will that do to you if you actually believe in this myth? I just want to talk about that more for a minute because it is so absurd. It is so absurd to think that we popped into existence from nothing. The universe is incredibly complicated. If you're bored this week, Google the fundamental constants of physics. It's a miracle. There are so many of them. And life could not exist if all of these things were not incredibly, intricately, fine-tuned. The odds of them just popping into the existence Existence is essentially zero. It's ludicrous to think that something as delicate as something as important as something as complex as our universe popped into existence out of nothing. Just think about that. How often have you been sitting there and seen anything pop into existence out of nothing? How many times have you wished that would happen as you wait for dinner and you think, boy, it would be nice. You know, a ham sandwich is a lot less complex than the universe. Why can't a ham sandwich just pop into existence right now? It doesn't happen. You'd be a fool to think that. Everyone knows that. If you came home from work and dinner was hot and ready at the table and you looked at your spouse and said, honey, I just got home 
And this dinner must have popped into existence out of nothing, fluctuated into existence out of the cosmic vacuum. You'd get laughed at because it's pathetic. What's wrong with you? People who believe in this are worse than people who believe in magic. You know, I used to take my kids to this uh, hayride thing that they had, and you'd put the kids on the hayride, and they'd pick pumpkins and whatever, and they had this magician there, and he was great at what he did. And one of the things is he'd take a little hat, and he'd set it out, and he'd reach in, and in that hat, he'd show you the hat, there's nothing in the hat. He'd put it down, and then he'd pull a bunny out of the hat. And the kids would go crazy. That guy just pulled a bunny out of nothing. It's amazing. Now the adults would sit there and laugh. Look at those kids, those silly kids. They think, they think that things come from nothing. They haven't learned how the world works yet. Oh, that's so cute that they, they believe that. They think a bunny came from nowhere. That's so silly and so foolish. But those kids are a lot smarter than the people who believe our cultural creation myth because at least they got the magician in the hat. The people who think the universe just fluctuated into existence out of nothing, they don't even have that. And yet this is what our culture has led people to believe. You believe things pop into nothing, pop into existence from nowhere. All believe in the power of God. And how in the world did I become the one who looks foolish? How often have you seen something pop into existence from nothing? And here God has got one story which he tells us how things happen. It gives us great value and worth. And yet our culture tells us the opposite. We're not loved children by God. We're accidents of random chance. You weren't created for a purpose, for a reason, because you're valuable. You're an over-evolved amoeba. And you see this. I remember I went to college, my first-year biology class, my professor. He just loved to point stuff like this out. Human beings and chimpanzees share 97% of their DNA, (laughs) so don't think you're too special. And you see it in subtle ways, too. I used to go to the Minnesota Zoo, and they took it down because at this point it's so offensive, so racist that they couldn't leave it up anymore, but they'd show animals along the evolutionary pathway. From You'd walk in, and there'd be a, a, a bacteria, and the next picture would be you know, the bacteria had a flagellum, and then a, a lizard, and then you know a kangaroo, and a chimpanzee, and then a person who was indigenous to the jungle at the end of it. They're all just extensions of the same thing. They're all just came from each other. They're all just members of the animal kingdom. I remember I went to the library and I checked out a book of animals. I wanted my kids to learn about animals. And we sat down and I read the book. Oh, look. And it was the same thing. Simpler creatures at the beginning and then later creatures. You know, you get to the monkeys and then the last page, boom, picture of a person. We're just a member of the animal kingdom. Don't think yourself... Too special. We talked a little bit about this in Ecclesiastes. He, because of the influence in Christianity, of Christianity in Western culture, in Western culture, we never included human beings when we think of the animal kingdom because we had unique dignity and worth. But when our culture's creation myth was developed beginning in the year 1850, suddenly our culture just loved to put human beings right in that animal kingdom. You're just an animal. Like the animals. You share 97% of your DNA with a chimpanzee. And because we bear God's image, the Christian believes that, yes, physically, we may be very, very similar to an animal. 
but I'm different than an animal because I have dignity, I have worth that God has bestowed upon me. And God gives us dominion over the animals. If you read the scripture, we're not included in their group. We rule over them. But those who believe our culture's creation myth, as you listen to them, you start to think, wait a minute, do you want me to rule over creation like God has placed me, or do you want me to be subservient to the creation? As you look at the regulations and restrictions that people who believe in our culture's creation myth want to put out there, you start to think, wait a minute, I'm getting the feeling that you no longer think the environment serves me, you think that I serve my environment. And Christians should not believe that the environment is any less important than unbelievers. What Christians do is elevate human beings to their rightful place. Christians should not love God's creation any less, but what they should do is love people more. And Christians should take care of our environment. We should do everything we can to take care of the animals, to take care of the earth that God gave us dominion over. We're responsible for them. You rule over them. I rule over them. And we will be held accounted by God with how we've stewarded his creation. And so Christians should love our environment. We shouldn't devalue our environment, but we should recognize that we love people more. And so we take care of our environment, not because the environment is valuable. It is good, but it's not very good. What is very good is humanity. We don't lower the environment. What we do is we raise people to their rightful place as being born in the image of God. We don't serve our environment. But there's a distinct flavor out there, a distinct flavor of those who reject God's word and instead perpetuate this creation myth that instead of putting us over the environment, they want to put us under the environment. A righteous man regards the life of his beast. I remember I learned this verse in the King James. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast in the old KJV. You can't be a cruel individual to animals and say that you're following Christ in that area of your life. Absolutely not. But Peter's lost the plot. Peter has lost the plot by advocating for animal rights over human life. There's no prohibition from God for killing animals. There is a prohibition from God for killing man. Genesis 9, 6 says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. However, animals... There's no moral high ground in saying, I don't eat animals. Genesis 9, 3, animals are given to us as a gift from God, a good gift. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Everything that lives, everything that moves, that would be animals. God has given them to you as a gift. Now, people who think that human beings should be subservient to their environment tend to want to make you feel guilty for eating animals, like there's something unethical about that. There's nothing unethical about it. It's a gift from God to be received with joy. People who reject God's word and instead want to lower the value of humans make you feel bad for using resources, bad for creating carbon, bad for doing these things. Instead of the earth being a gift for us to use and enjoy, a playground for us to live and enjoy, it becomes something to slave over and toil over and make us miserable and restrict and control. And again, we want to take care of our environment, 
but it serves humans. So we don't want to make people feel bad for enjoying that gift. In Christianity, instead of making people feel bad and trying to get them to use resources instead, in Christianity, we kill the animal, we eat the meat, and we praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this meal. Have you ever eaten something so delicious that you sit down and you just want to praise the Lord? Every time I go to Chipotle, I sit down, I look at this thing, and I say, this is fantastic. I get both barbacoa and steak on it. I went to this restaurant, I think it was JTC the other day. It was fantastic. I got one of their steaks and I looked down and I was just overwhelmed with gratitude. Someone had to raise that meat, feed that meat, protect that meat, slaughter that meat, cook that meat, season that meat, deliver that meat, and here it was. What a gift from the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this earth. But our culture instead loses the plot. We don't recognize the true value of humans. Bald eagle eggs are protected by federal law, but human life is not. And I'm telling you, if there was a starving child here and a bald eagle egg right next to that starving child egg, Right next to that starving child, the ethical thing to do would be to grab a frying pan, crack that egg, and cook that omelet for that child because that child's made in the image of God. And as beautiful and majestic and wonderful as the bald eagle egg is and the bald eagle is, it is not. Even if it was the last bald eagle egg on earth, you cook the kid the food. Goodbye, bald eagles. We love you. But this child is way more valuable. This child bears God's image. In our confused culture. This is why the word of God is so refreshing. Because we have a foundation for why we love people. And we don't just say we love people. Those who follow the Lord love people. They value them over other things. And when you go away from that, you stop loving people and you stop loving yourself. And while our DNA is undeniably 97% the same as a chimp, boy, that last 3% better be a doozy because it's the difference between being made in God's image and not. A cloud and a watermelon and you are all 70% water. Who cares? The Lord has blessed you with his image and he treats you like it. The Lord commands you. He commands you. Have you read this book? It is filled with commandments from God to you. How many commandments does the Lord give an animal? Zero. They have no ability to choose. They are slaves to their desires. They do not bear God's image. They're not mirrors which reflect God's morality, his dignity, and his worth. They're not held responsible. We don't have jails for animals. The animals do not create jail. We do. Because you are responsible, unlike every other creature on earth. God treats you with that dignity. He says, you can do what I want you to do. Even though you might have this desire, I'm telling you to do this over here, and I believe in you, and I know you can do it. What a countercultural message that is. We don't even try to do that anymore. I went to the doctor because I really needed what I really needed to lose weight. Instead, he gave me some pills because I didn't even try to tell you to change your life anymore. 
You're a slave to your desires. Instead, we're going to deal with the symptoms rather than expect you to make decisions which are godly and responsible. What way do you want to be treated? Our cultural godless myth treats you as a meat machine. The chemicals have gone into your brain and the actions come out and, well, maybe we could try to give you something for that. But God's word treats you as someone who can choose to follow him or not. And you are free to do that. What a blessing. The Lord blesses you with freedom. And when you take that freedom, you are a mirror which reflects God's freedom to the world. Something our culture does not feel comfortable seeing. Because they don't want to change. They don't want to be held responsible. They don't want that mirror held up. Your freedom threatens them. It tells them that they can choose to follow the Lord, that they can choose to make different things. That's a threatening thing for people who don't want to change. Yet God has given us that as Christians. We are to exercise our freedom and reflect God to the world. Some physical aspects of ourselves may be certainly compared to the animals or even less than the animals in different ways. However, God has put us in a different category. We are people who bear his image. And it's not just our culture which devalues people. Satan devalues people through our interactions with each other. God created his good, but sin has broken that. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, See, this alone I found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. And that's why we hurt each other. That's why the world is complex. That's why the church isn't heaven on earth. Because even believers who believe in the dignity and freedom still fall to Satan's schemes. We are still sinful However, we are still responsible. And because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that image in us, God's image in us still exists, but we reflect God imperfectly like a broken mirror. You can see parts of God when you look into that mirror, but other parts are obscured. It's like when someone looks at you, they can see godly things and then they see cracks and they say that's not right and you get too close to it and you get cut and we say terrible things to each other I remember I read the bus in middle school if you read the bus rode the bus in middle school you remember <laughs> church might not be heaven on earth but the bus is hell on earth <laughs> I've never felt worse about myself than after I read the, rode the bus in middle school. And we abuse each other, and it's a joke, but I mean, it's serious. You might have been abused physically, verbally, sexually abused. It's horrible. And Satan looks to devalue us through our sin. When my kids ask what sin is, I say it's when we hurt others, hurt ourselves, and rebel against God. I say in our house, we only have three rules. We love God, love others, and love ourselves. 
helps the kid to organize it because there's a lot of commandments that we give him, but we boil it all down. Actually, we only have three. Love God, love others, and love yourself. And when we're damaged by our cultural viewpoint, when our faith in this recedes, we start believing a cultural myth, we will have less value, we'll live less uh, lives of less confidence, less self-esteem. And then as we run into other people and experience their sin, we'll feel less valuable. You might have felt less valuable. God, if you love me, why am I going through this? God, if you love me, why? Have you allowed this other person to do this to me? And the answer is that God did not command that. God is not responsible for that. In fact, he's commanded the exact opposite. And one day he'll come and judge in righteousness and goodness and remove that evil and heal and restore. And the truth is that we can combat all of that devaluing done by Satan. We can combat that with the truth of God. And when we internalize that theological concept that I am a loved child of God created in his image, that helps us to overcome all of that garbage. It helps us to heal from that. It's not easy to take theological concepts from your head to your heart. But over time, as we seek the Lord, as we open our hearts to his spirit, he will move in our hearts in one way or another, and those things will become real to us. And the more that the truth becomes real to us, the more we'll be able to overcome the devaluing that Satan has done in our lives and in our culture. Because your value is not subjective. You don't have your value when other people say nice things about you and lose it when they don't. You don't have your value when your car is nice and lose it when you're rusty. You don't have your value when your hair is good looking and thick and full and lose it when it's not. You have value all of the time through the word of God and the truth of God and being created in his image. It's unchanging. Your value never changes. Your feelings do. And so you take your feelings and you look at the word of God and you correct your feelings according to the truth. It makes no sense to walk outside on a sunny day with an umbrella just because you feel like it. It makes no sense to feel down about yourself when the Lord our God has blessed you with his image. And Christians have this foundation in their life. And other people don't. The Lord our God has blessed us with that. Satan wants us to have too low of a view of ourselves. But the first thing that we can learn as we look at what does this matter for our lives today, being born in God's image, what does it matter? Well, the first thing is that it gives me value, unshakable, unquestionable value at all times. And Satan wants us to have a view too low of ourselves, but we as human, because of our incredible sin and pride, we want to have too high of a value of ourselves, and we are tempted not to often compare ourselves to animals, but instead to make ourselves God. And so the first thing is that this truth gives us value, and the second thing is it gives us humility. It puts us right where we should be. Human beings, we're so incredibly prideful. There is, I shared a book a few weeks ago, that from a church that teaches this, but there are churches out there that replace Jesus Christ with you and teach you that you are the light and teaches that you that you are God, or at least a part of him, a spark of the divine. You're God. And if you ever sat down and tried to make a ham sandwich pop into existence out of nothing, you know that's insane. However, people fall prey to this type of craziness because they want high self-esteem, they want value, and they're so incredibly prideful that instead... They believe that they are God. 
And there are churches of people out there that think that they are the light of the world. And then they go home and they try to get along with their family and they can't and they think, what's wrong with everyone else? I am the light of the world. And if you've ever lived or been around with someone like that, you know you can't get along with them. It leaves behind a string of broken relationships because every time you try to tell them something differently, they say, I'm God. Now, most people don't actually believe that they're God or say that they're God, but they still deep down believe it and act like it because they make up their own lists of do's and don'ts, their own lists of rules, and put themselves in the place of God. God gave us the word. He gave Moses his commandments. He gave us his teaching. And most people say, yeah, that looks good, but that one doesn't. And, this, and they make their own list, and they say, well, look at that. I'm doing a great job of following all of my own rules. I've given myself my commandments, and I'm doing a fantastic job. Why can't you all conform to my list? I have my list. I'm doing well. And that's essentially how most people live. And as we come to Christ, that's how we often live. And we sit there and get humbled and humbled and realize that I need to submit myself to the moral authority of God because I am a sinner. And so some of this makes sense to me. Some of them doesn't. But that's not God's problem. That's the problem of my own mind. As you go through life, if you've tried to be perfect and you have any sort of clarity at all, you realize how far from perfect you are and how much in need you are of God and his word and his ethical authority. And those who refuse to submit themselves to any higher ethical authority are the hardest people to get along with in all of life. And yet God's word gives us value and then it also gives us humility. Turns out I'm not God. Turns out the harder I try to be God, the more I realize how far from him I really am. And I don't need to think I'm God. What I need is God's word, and what I need is his forgiveness. And we are not gods, although we are created in his image. And we're not animals, and we're not our job, and we're not our house, and we're not our car, and we're not our looks. That would be too low. Having all these kids, uh, seven and under now, I read tons of kids' books. I just read Goldilocks and the Three Bears. She goes in and she sits in Papa's chair and it's too hard. And she sits in Mama's chair and it's too soft. And she sits in Baby's chair and it's just right. Then she goes to eat the porridge and Papa's is too hot and Mama's is too cold and Baby's is too right. And if Goldilocks came to the United States of America right now, she would look at our secular society's cultural myth and say, this doesn't give me enough value. And then she'd look at the way all of these prideful, terrible people act, and she'd say, that gives me way too much value. But this, this puts me right where I belong. Gives me value and gives me humility. And in a world that's God mad, Christianity is just right. And knowing that you're made in God's image not only gives you value, but it gives you humility. And the last thing we can look at as we read this passage today, it gives us purpose. It gives us purpose. We are created in God's image. And our purpose is to reflect him. In other words, our purpose is to bring him glory. And it gives you purpose every day. If you feel like you're not, don't have purpose. And I've said this a few times before in sermons already, but I just want to keep repeating it because it's the first thing I think you, I want you to think of when you sit there and you think, I don't know what I'm going to do today. 
I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm getting up and going to this job. I don't know why I'm changing this diaper. I want you to think about this. We have purpose every day. It's conformed to the image of his son. And during that day, we'll make many mistakes, but all of those mistakes are forgiven us by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ on the cross to those who believe. And so when we go through the day, we don't have to worry and fret about our mistakes. It takes all of the pressure off because when we stand before the Lord, all of those things will be removed. And instead, when we go throughout the day, we have the opportunity to reflect God's image in any sort of way. We've got that opportunity to do that every day. And even if we succeed to do that in a small way, we will get to the judgment seat of the Lord. We will look him in the eyes and he will say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You did this. You did that. You followed me. You followed my spirit. You were someone who showed other people and taught other people about me, even in a little way. You did this. And even in a little way, God will show his pleasure to us in that way. And since God is eternal, we will get to enjoy his pleasure with us for an eternity. And so every day that we live, we have the opportunity to store up rewards in heaven forever. And that gives me incredible purpose. That gives me a reason to get out of bed today. I have an opportunity to save up joy for eternity. And even if I just manage to do something small, that's still adding to it, adding to the glory of God. And think about the relationships between parents and children. Right, I was a youth pastor. And think about how we reflect God's image and how we teach people about God. When I was a youth pastor, I noticed I had a lot of kids that came through that youth ministry. I was there for almost four years at different positions in youth ministry. Hundreds and hundreds of kids came through. And the kids who could not understand God's love and could not believe God loved them, I dive into their life and I find out their parents were unloving. I remember I had this one kid who used to just shout out things in the middle of youth group that were disrespectful as a person would be teaching. And I pulled him aside. I was like, what is wrong with this kid? And I pulled him aside and sat him down. I was going to talk to him. And instead, he just blurted out, my dad's divorcing my mom. I was going to talk about the curse words he just said. I just found that these kids who could not submit themselves to God's love had been living in the life of a mirror that was broken in that way. And every time they looked at their parents, there's a crack where God's truth was supposed to be. And those are the kids that had the hardest time accepting God's love. And I noticed that first. And then as I became a youth pastor and looked at kids as they went out of my youth group, I realized that most of these kids came from houses that are broken in a different way. They weren't broken with God's love. They were broken with God's truth. And their parents never held them accountable and never taught them there's accountability to their actions. And they went to college and they did all sorts of things. What happened? What happened? Well, their parents were broken in God's truth. They never disciplined them. They never made them pay for anything that they did. And so these kids, while they accepted God's love, well, of course God loves me. I'm amazing. But then they went out and stopped following him immediately. And we teach other people about God for good and for bad. 
Think about the message that you're teaching your children. Think about the message that you're teaching your spouse. We can't help it. We can't help it. We internalize the mirror that is in our lives, don't we? We shouldn't, but we do, because we're human beings. We have that opportunity to teach people about God or to lie to people about God based on how we act. And people feel that God feels about them the way their parents do, the way their spouse does, the way their boss does. It's fascinating. God has given us this incredible responsibility. And so what do we do? Well, first of all, we repent and put our faith in Jesus, and then we put our whole hearts into conforming to the image of his son. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We are in the greatest battle, the greatest story imaginable, the battle between good and evil, and every day we have an opportunity to build up treasure in heaven by conforming to the image of his son and seeking to grow more and more and more like Jesus Christ. This is God's destiny for those who love him. Now, when you go to an exercise class, I remember going to an exercise class because I needed to drop a few pounds, and the first thing the guy that drew on the board was a wavy line, up, down, up, down, up, down. And he said, a lot of people come here and they think that they're going to start today and they're going to lose half a pound every day for three months and then they're going to be done. I said, that's not the way it works at all. You're going to work your tail off and some days you're going to weigh a lot heavier than he did last week and you're going to eat fantastic and your weight's going to go down and then you're going to notice in a couple weeks you weigh more than you did when you started. And he said, it's a wavy line. It goes up and down. But if you start here and commit to it, you'll end up over there. It's the same thing with following Jesus. We put our hearts into following the Lord and we see growth in our life. And all of a sudden, Satan comes along and said, well, wait a minute, I thought I had conquered this. And then we go back, and we go forward, and we go back, and we go forward. But over time, day after day, we conform to the image of Jesus. It's not prideful to say that that is your journey in this life, that you're being conformed to Jesus Christ. It is God's plan for you. And don't be discouraged when you notice setbacks in your life, because that is God allowing your heart more and more to be revealed so that you dive deeper into following Jesus. And this is our purpose every day. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is in the Spirit. It's a process called sanctification, a process through which we become more Christ-like. And this is your mission. This is your purpose every day. You've got a reason to live every day, every moment. And as we internalize the truth that God has created us in his image, it gives us humility, it gives us value, and it gives us purpose. And do you have that? Or has Satan tricked you into thinking that you are the sum of your bank account, or that you are the position you hold at work. Instead, we need to stop listening to what Satan says about us and start listening to what God says about us and draw our value from that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us foundation and truth for our lives. And as we look at a world which is complex and difficult and complicated, and as we encounter all of these different things that you've created good, Lord, I pray that you'd bless us and remind us that above all of these things, your word is true and what you say about us is true and we draw our value from you, 
the only trustworthy source. Lord, thank you so much for the incredible blessing of giving us dignity and worth and freedom. Lord, thank you for loving us enough to treat us like people who you can command, that we can choose. Lord, bless us as we look at our life that we can draw our value from you. And stop listening and stop having our hearts drawn to all of the other things that Satan uses to distract us. Lord, I pray you bless us that we can focus and look and grow in finding our source and value from you. And God, as we try to get along with other people and encounter conflicts, Lord, I pray that you remind us of the humility that comes from knowing that we are not you, but that we are reflections of you. And it should always enter into our mind that possibly we're the ones whose sin is causing the problem. So we can be humble and look at things and grow in our relationships with others and with you. Lord, thank you for giving us value, for humility. And God, thank you for giving us a purpose. As we look out there and say, what is big enough to fulfill me? And we look at our career and we look at our wealth and we look at our lot in life when we say, God, I don't see how all of this can give me true value and meaning. Lord, thank you so much for being blessed in your image that our true value and meaning instead comes from you and our true purpose comes from being conformed to the image of your son. So Lord, bless us with growth as we submit our hearts to you. Lord, by your spirit right now, grow our hearts and our ability to be free from Satan to follow you. And we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.